<coughs> excuse me. You can pray that I make it through too. Okay, thank you very much. Now, at the beginning of September, I came with what I felt was a word from the Lord. That he wanted to show us something about ourselves that is so fundamental, that is so deep. Can I, get, can I do something? Could you bring the lights down a little and the, the house lights up and the, those other lights down? I really want to see the other way around. Yeah. But yeah. Bring the, those lights down a little bit. Thanks. Thanks. I just like to see faces so I can see whether or not it's actually, if I'm communicating, right? Okay. So what happened was, is that the Lord came to us and said, there's a Christianity that we're living that we're thinking is the fullness thereof. And in fact, it's not even actually close. And it's not a condemning thing that he was saying. It's a take a look and see. Take, look at something that you see all the time so much that you sort of got your ways of explaining it and dealing with it and so on. But in truth, you need to see that it's not there. Now, because God is eminently practical, always theological, which is more up here, but it always has practical in it, always. If there's always something real about it on the, on the ground level at, at five feet right on the ground that is incredibly important. And so God made it practical through talking about funding and showing us something about funding. But again, I want to say something really quick. This is not a tithe sermon. We're not talking about that whatsoever. What we are talking about is what was just talked about. Who do you trust? And it turns out, now think about it, God doesn't care about money. God made the universe. <laughs> God made money. When he needed to pay taxes, he went fishing. John Batterman, how'd you like to pay your taxes by going fishing? Okay, Roger Maddox, sound good? Okay, you know what I mean? He doesn't, money means nothing to him. But what he knows is, is that this is the thing that is so important to us that it is the thing that he talked about more than any other single topic because there was this problem of, are you going to trust that, the world, or are you going to trust me? And so he created this dichotomy all the time. And one of the things that he did was that we learned in those first couple of sermons where I said God was trying to reveal something was, is I had to bring it home to say, our, you know, because we think we're pretty good because we tithe and because we give offerings above that, <coughs> because we're <coughs> generous and free and because we're willing to do, we think whatever the Lord would ask. But remember what we did, and that is, is that we looked at a place in Acts where God did something extraordinary, which is the first time God's trying to show you something, he always touches people so that what he's showing you is exactly what he means. And then having shown you, he lets you see if you want it as to whether or not you'll do it. And since he showed it to us 2,000 years ago in the first Christian community, we have never done it in any consequential way since. So the truth is we don't want that. <laughs> and that's literally the revelation that came to me about all this. I don't want what I'm about to show you. I don't want it. Now I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn, this is what we're doing right now. We're all in discipleship, right? As we're learning how God discipled the disciples, we're all learning going through this process right with them and we're getting to that critical place where we're towards the end of the master's program and he's about to be taken away and we're the ones that are now to carry this forward. And so he's bringing it home to us, to me. And one of the things that he did is he said, look, I don't have any money right now so it doesn't matter. But if I do get some money, and I might, am I willing to live as the first community did where they felt that what they owned was not their own and they shared everything they had? There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And I want to say, I, think, I would think of myself as being very generous, and I know that when I had money, I was very generous, very generous. If we grade on the curve, I'm doing good. Okay? But it isn't on the curve. It's in truth, in spirit and in truth. And the truth is, I don't know if I got money at this point in time if I'd want to give it all so that no one had need, including me. <laughs> now that's really stupid. But that's how I feel. That's what's going on, right? And I think if we're really honest with ourselves, I think there's actually a few people in here that really don't care about money at all and really would do that. 
And then there's however many people are there are in here today, then there's all the rest of us. Okay? And, and look, God's not trying to condemn us. He's not trying to beat us up with this. What he's trying to do is get us to open our eyes to see something, to see something critical. Mainly, you're not going to get in your own flesh to the place to where you want to do that because that's not what flesh does. Something else entirely is going to have to happen in order for you to get to this beautiful place, this incredible place, this place where God is saying, oh my gosh, the, the, the riches that I would pour out. And we think, well, yeah, then I'll get some of it. But no, no, forget about that. <laughs> what God wants to do is he wants to pour his enormous floodgate, as we've been talking, through you. He wants to make an enormous difference in the world through you. And that's not just financial. That's in every gift. It's just that the financial one sort of reveals that we are a little hoarding. <laughs> that we do trust the world and God. Which is to say that we really trust neither. Which is why we end up being worse than the untrustworthy steward. See it? I mean, what God was doing with that, at the end of that, what we did is we looked at we looked, at the, we looked at all of these parables we've been looking at for months, and we all of a sudden saw, at the beginning of September, we saw that they were all building up to this climactic parable. And it's just beautiful what God does. The way that, he, the way that what he does is he says, he goes like this, he goes, you see what's wrong with them? Yeah, that's wrong with them. You see what's wrong with them? Yeah, that's what's wrong. Yeah, and that's what's wrong with them. And that's what's wrong with them. And that's what's wrong with them. And that's what's, and we can agree with them until all of a sudden we've completely surrounded ourselves. <laughs> so there's no escape. And then he says, okay, now, do you see what's wrong with you? <laughs> and we go, well, I don't like that anymore. <laughs> give, me a, give me a way out. Okay? And so what he did was he showed us through these things that the Pharisees weren't getting it. This is before we got to the one that pointed the finger at us. He was showing the Pharisees weren't getting it. And here's why that's so critical. Do you really realize what a Pharisee is? Because Pharisees have a really bad name in Christianity, right? But do you realize what they were? Here's what they did. When you were a little kid, a child, you spent your entire day copying Scripture memorizing it essentially, but really trying to make it part of yourself, writing it, and as you were writing it, trying to comprehend it, trying to get it down into your soul. You'd spend your entire day copying it, and then you would spend your entire night with elders and the peers arguing about it, discussing it, going through it. Now here's what's being said when I say that. Number one, the worst Pharisee knows infinitely more about Scripture than truly the best Christian. <laughs> there isn't anything like that in today's world. It just isn't. It just, you know, the worst Pharisee spent more time in the Word in trying to figure out God than the, than the best Christians. It's just the way it is. Now, the second thing is, is that we, as Christians, see, we can kind of write the Pharisees off because we say, well, they were fundamentalists and legalists. They had this way of understanding the word. That is complete falsehood. There were fundamentalists and legalists among them, for sure. Just like there is in the Christian camp. But just like there is in the Christian camp, there were other people like Gamaliel that weren't that way at all. They were very much, here's what the Pharisees were. They were, they were people of the people. Sadducees were rich people elites that nobody cared about. And they had their own little world and who cared about them. They were a small party. Pharisees came out of people. They came out of us. And what they did was is that they would do all that study and there would be some people who believe this way and some people believe this way and some people believe this way and some people believe this way and this whole continuum. And what they were trying to do was, how does this stuff apply to your life? They weren't just handling it the abstract, disconnected from real life. They were talking about how do we make this stuff work in our lives? How do we actually fulfill the things that are being asked? What is it that's being asked? What is the nature of God? Who is he really? They were, they were working on this stuff in the full orb way that Christianity does right now, in the same exact manner. They were trying to work through, and some people were getting it kind of wrong, and some people, I would, rel I would argue, were getting it more relatively right. But here's the problem. Even then, all but just a very few, maybe Nicodemus, all but very few of the Pharisees 
who had spent every day and their entire lives trying to discover God in a real way didn't know him when he stood right in front of them. How the heck could that happen? Not only did they not recognize him as God, which admittedly might be a high bar because they thought of God up there, and, but they didn't recognize him as Messiah. When nobody has ever even come close to fulfilling the requirements of what Messiah did, like Jesus did, to the point that the Pharisees said, yep, that's what Messiah would do, <laughs> and still didn't want to recognize him as such. Unbelievable. Not only that, but they were getting it so wrong. Now follow this and understand that this is not an indictment against the Pharisees unless it's also an indictment against us. Do you remember there were 12 disciples, only 11 of which got it? Right in the disciples, Jesus has made it clear that you can be around it and in it. For all intents and purposes to anybody in the world, you can look as one. And yet you're not getting it, as Judas did not. It wasn't about the money and the perfume. It was about his heart. It's about something that got kinked in him. And he just didn't get the heart and the nature of God at all. He made it about things of the world. Do you see it? And, and so what, we're, what I'm going after is, they actually, the Pharisees actually got, not by not getting it, they didn't just not get it, they actually became opposed to it to the point that the Pharisees were right in the heart of the camp of those who were plotting to kill by crucifixion God, the Messiah. How do you get that wrong? Turns out it's super easy. It's super easy. All you got to do is Take your religion the way you want it. And you will lead yourself right into away from God. That's all you got to do. If you want to get it, you have to strip bare. You have to be willing to have the Lord come and speak a hard word and let it penetrate. And let it do something inside of you that lets you know, oh my God, I really was holding on to a branch. I'm really not as free. I'm really not as right, as righteous. You have to let the Lord come and say, I love you. I'm not trying to beat you because you're doing something wrong. I'm trying to free you because what you're holding on to is killing you. Right? I'm trying to set you free. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. He's trying to free us from what is trying to kill us. <laughs> that seems a fair trade on his part. That seems a decent thing for him to try to do with us, right? So we're going to take another giant step in how to actually do that. Who's our prayer today? Hayden Ray. Hayden Ray, this is awesome. This is... Hayden, do you have a microphone? Does he have a microphone? Does somebody need it? Okay. I just want to say, Hayden, you live this sermon all the way. Because you're a young man, and so as a young man, young man stuff. But I see you turning to God over and over and over and over, to the point that he's headed to Africa to give that, that section of his life, this thing about missions that he's had in his heart forever, to give it a try and to really give God a chance in it and see if that's really where he belongs and so on and everything else, and I love you, man. You, you just do fantastically. So love you. Would you pray for the sermon? Lift up another church, too. Lord, I thank you for what you've been saying already this morning through worship and through the words that we had and even through Rick's testimony. I just um, pray that um, as we sit here and listen to what you've prepared in Kurt's heart, that it sinks into us as well. Um, and then I want to lift up Eastside Foursquare uh, up in Bothell, I just pray that you be with DJ this morning and the Amen. congregation as they are learning from your word as well. Amen. Amen. Because he mentioned it, I wasn't planning on it, but because he mentioned it, um, DJ is stepping down as pastor of Eastside. So many of you actually come from Eastside and you care about that church because it might have brought you to salvation and certainly was an important part of many, many, many people's lives on the Eastside and, and many other places. And uh, they've got a great plan going forward as to 
how to make a transition. And DJ is a wonderful guy, and I'm certain that he will be taking another church or several that are being offered to him already and so on. Uh, so if you want to talk to me about that, you can, okay? Uh, as I say, always, we just learn, right? We grow together, we learn together, right? Okay. So with that in mind, here was that last section. I'm just going to read it to you, how it ended up with the untrustworthy steward. All those parables went to the went to this untrustworthy steward. And if you don't know that parable, would you just go back and listen to the other couple of sermons because they'll do so much more justice to it than I could do by summing it up right here, okay? But the bottom line is, very hard to understand parable that is a weird thing where a guy who's been stealing from his boss is gonna get fired so steals more for him and God seems to commend him. And why in the world would he do something like that? And what it turns out being it has to do with is he's saying that that unwise steward who stole from everything is actually us. That's, just, that's the bottom line, and he says it right here. If you're faithful in little things, this is the end of that parable, this is Jesus explaining it. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. If you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater things. So what's he mean by that? If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, right, then who's gonna trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you're, if you're untrustworthy with a little thing like worldly wealth, Who's going to do that? Well, we know the untrustworthy steward was stealing from his thing. But what he's actually saying is, is, so are you. Because when you trust in the world the way that you do, you end up doing things that are stealing from what I want to do through you. You're not being trustworthy to the resources that I've given you. And so what he's saying is, is if you're not faithful with other people's things, God's, then why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. Now, we all know that, but we're willing to point our fingers at other people that are doing that, not realizing that he's talking about us. <laughs> because where's our trust? Which is what he gets to next. Because the next words that he says, or the next words that happen is, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but here's the key to it. I told you, it's not about tithe, it's not about money. God knows your heart. <laughs> That's what it's about. Where's your heart? More accurately, where's your trust? Where is your trust really? It doesn't matter that you're fulfilling the obligations. It matters, are, those, are the things that you own owning you? Or are they, are you water in the king's hands being able to be directed wherever and however he would want you to be directed. Is that who you are? See? And they were not. And so he said to them, you, you know, those who justify themselves before men, God knows your hearts. Look what is exalted among men. What is exalted among men? Wealth, privilege, fame, best place at the table, etc. This is what they cared about. And what he's saying is that's an abomination in the sight of God. See what I mean? These things that you care about. I don't. <laughs> and the fact that you care about them makes it to where you won't care about the things I care about. Not properly, not in fully, not richly, the way that I'm asking you to. We, okay, we got it? So here's what I want to do. That's the, that's the first part of it. Now watch this. He goes to a very weird place here all of a sudden. Why would he shift to the law right now? Because here's what he says. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way in. It's the right translation for this. Takes vigorous steps to get into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Now let me just unpack that for you and tell, me, tell you why he went there. He's talking to who? Pharisees right now because they're the ones that ridiculed him. And here's what he's doing. He's saying, all the stuff that I'm telling you was in the law. It was all there. You didn't need me to tell it to you. If you'd have understood what it was saying, you'd have got it. You weren't supposed to be owned by the world. You were supposed to be using the resources of the world to further my kingdom. But you used it for things that you pleasure. See, that you want. And so what he's saying is, is that's why he goes to this thing about the law. So he's saying it was all there. Now, Gil, go more deeply on that. Why, if it's there, aren't we living it? 
Why? Because of our flesh. Because we live in the flesh. It's worse than just that we live in the flesh. We're in bondage to the flesh. This is what the law taught us. The law was saying, do you realize, have you realized that by trying to do what the law is asking, have you realized that you never succeed? Or do you do this thing that we all do? I try and live up to what God's telling me, but there's certain parts of it I don't like so much, so I reinterpret. See, you start, you start going my direction. I reinterpret according to the way that it would seem like I was actually okay in this area. Despite it's not the plain meaning of it anymore. But it fits my life better. How do you get off? Right there. Do what you think is right. See it? So what he's saying is, he's saying, it's all there. And you of all people should have got the point. Because you were trying to help people do the right thing. And what you would have discovered if you'd have done that was, it's very hard for people to ever do the right thing. For real, for the long haul. Not that people aren't capable of enormous good, they are. But there's still this fundamental thing of self that'll creep back in and cause destruction. You see it? It'll, 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 it'll wear away your foundation until you fall. And so what he's doing is, is he's saying that, but then what he says, now watch what he does. He contrasts that old way with the good news, a new way. So what's the good news? What is it? Well, it's real simple. He's going to make you new. If the old person couldn't do it and for 2,000 years never could get it done, what's the good news? I'm going to make you new so you can. <laughs> I'm going to do something that you can't. You can't born you again. <laughs> Nicodemus said it. I can't climb back up in the womb and come back out again. Right? But God can born you again. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Look, new things have come. He's been born of God. We have a new nature. We have a new thing. That's the good news. And what's happening is, look, dear children, watch this. Jesus goes right to the heart of this. Dear children, it's very hard. This is the rich young ruler that came to him and he said, you know, what must you do? And Jesus said, in his case, he said, it's not every case that he would say this, but in his case, he said, sell everything you have, come follow me. And he couldn't. Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. Does anybody think that? Because in Christianity, that's not how we sell it. It's very easy to get into the kingdom of God. And God will forgive you for all the rest. Okay? Understand, grace is enormous. You just can't presume it. Okay? Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to do this. I've done it before, but let me just do it because there's new people here. You've heard a sermon probably at some point in your life that the needle was the gate to a city and the camel couldn't fit through it if it was laden down with armaments or baggage or possessions or whatever, so you had to unstrip the camel. No, that's not what's being said here. What's being said here is, is that, what he says is, he says, the disciple responded, who can be saved? Jesus looked at him and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. He wasn't talking about something that was fairly easy, which is taking off our possessions. He was talking about doing something impossible. He was talking about, you personally cannot get a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You cannot do it. But with me, everything is possible. I can do miracles. No, let's, let's change that wording. I can do what you cannot. So what you need to come to recognize is, is what you cannot. You need to recognize that you cannot. The faster you get to I cannot, the faster you can get to what he can. That's where he's trying to take you. That's where he's trying to get you, right? So, awesome. And when we get to that place, this is where we get to. Everyone forces his way, takes vigorous steps to get into it, the kingdom of God. Everybody who understands this good news, oh my gosh, what I couldn't do, 
I couldn't get myself around to the place that God would have me be, but God did something in me to where I now can. That is awesome. Let me go there because God's things are better than my things. I want God's things more than my things. See? When, when you do that, this is awesome. And they vigorously go in here. Now there's an irony in here. Because who is more vigorous about getting into the kingdom of God than the Pharisees? I've already told you that they're more vigorous than any Christian. <laughs> right? So there's an irony here. You're being vigorous about trying to get into the kingdom. You're just doing it the wrong way. You don't understand God. You don't understand what he does. You don't understand what he's done. You see it? So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get you to, to get on board with the people who are hearing the good news that God does what we cannot. Go vigorously after that, not what you can do. See it? Is this simple? Because this is actually incredibly complex stuff. I mean, this is, this is the depths to which it's argued about today ad nauseum. But the bottom line is this is the truth of the gospel. This is the good news of it. And in fact, what he tells us is he says there's people out there that lack religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. <laughs> Don't get polluted by, in fact, what it says before and after that particular statement is, there's self-willed people going after what they think is right, their own pleasures. Got it, okay, great. We, we just, we just I, thought, I hope we've made some enormous tracks. Now let's look at this. So how can we get from those who don't get it to those who truly do? How can we truly, how can we actually live this new life in God and not the one from our flesh in the world? Wouldn't that be a good thing to know? What do we need to do in order to get there? Now, we're not doing mics right now, but I just want to ask you that question. How can we do that? How do you get from where you are right now? There's a really simple thing. How do you get from where you are right now in the other place, just shout it out. Surrender is really good. I, there's a better one. What? Trust is awesome. Just do it is awesome. I want to. There's wait. You, when you hear it, you go, "Oh yeah." Keep going. Walk in the spirit. It's walk in the. It's be led by the Holy Spirit. The way that you get from something that you know, which is your flesh, and you know it all too well. The way that you get from your flesh into something that you don't know, which is God, and truly God, actual God, is you let the Holy Spirit take you from what you know to what you don't know. <laughs> you let him lead you. And it takes a lot of trust, because you don't know. <laughs> if you knew, you'd have done. But you couldn't do, because you didn't know. But now the Holy Spirit's in you, and he's leading you. And so you've got to follow him. In fact, I have said many times before, that the entire Bible goes like this. It starts out here with creation, and then it builds this story about fall and, and our inability to do and our inability and everything else. And it goes all the way up here, and it gets to the end of the Old Testament, and then the New Testament picks it up with the Gospels. But all, all of the New Test, Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament builds right to Romans 7 and Romans 8. That is the pinnacle of the entire Bible, if you were to graph out the point of it. And after that, it goes into the denouement, which is the, the, the what plays out. How do you actually walk in it? What's going to happen and so on. But the point is the whole Bible builds right to Romans 7 and Romans 8 because Romans 7 is one that we deal with quite a lot. And Romans 7 basically says this. This is Paul saying what the problem is. You've got two natures now. You've got the one that you had, that's you, flesh, desire, world. And then you've got this God thing going on. God nature in you. So he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. See, there's a part of me that wants to do this, and there's a part of me that wants to do this. And then he says it again. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. If I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. He's made me new. But there's still this baggage. 
And so he says, oh, miserable person that I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin. And the answer is, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. And then he talks about there being no condemnation, which I would argue is the pinnacle because of Christ and what he did for us. But I'm trying to highlight something else today. I'm trying to highlight how you don't walk in the flesh and do walk in the Spirit. And I'm going to read it to you in the message, which I think just nails this thing perfectly. You can read it in another translation. After having read the message, you go, oh, I get it now. But just listen to this. Okay, I want you to let these words, I'm just going to read it straight through, and I want them to just soak into you. Just, it's almost like a close your eyes moment. You don't have to. You can read along. But I want you to let these words sink. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once for all. The law code, weakened as it was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. Now what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out of the open into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing, and God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give it a decent variable and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. Is that the coolest? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> it nails it, right? That's the good news, the exceedingly great news. <coughs> now let me say it this way. And I want to make sure we have good time for this. That is phenomenal. And if you don't know how to live it out, it's just Christianese. There's so much Christianese. You can't do it, God can. Great Christianese, unless you know how to actually live it. Just follow the Spirit. Great Christianese, unless you know how to actually do it. Christianese is worthless. Christianese does not help you. Christianese puts, puts you, makes you think you get it when you don't. <laughs> so we're going to do a brief discussion here. I'm going to ask you three questions. And I, and I only want, can I just say something? Number one, always remember, introverts, please speak. You have more to say than extroverts. Okay? If you're not a verbal processor, that's good because your answer will be shorter. Okay? The second thing is, I'm really looking for people that can honestly give real answers to this. Somebody that, I'm looking for somebody to be helpful to us. This isn't just a discussion as in we're all discussing. This is we're trying to help each other. 
So if you've really gotten to a place to where you've learned something about how do you hear the Holy Spirit and how do you actually get better and better at hearing Him, in fact, how do you actually get so much better at following Him to the point that you're actually doing what He's leading no matter what it is? Can, you, can somebody give us, you know, start with the first one and we'll do just a couple of people, like I say, we don't have a ton of time for this, but just, who, who wants to just say, how do you hear the Holy Spirit? Somebody who really feels like they're good at hearing the Holy Spirit. Are you saying you want to say something? Go ahead. Would you run over to Jan? No, you got to have the mic because there's people watching. Okay? And we're recording you for all posterity, so don't be worried about that. <laughs> you know I don't normally speak up, so I just um, heard from the Lord yesterday, and he's because I don't ask. I, I've, ever since I was a little girl in my report card, Jan just needs to learn how to ask. I, don't, I can't ask for help. It's really hard. And that's the key is just asking for his help and receiving it verbally, out loud, saying, Lord, I'm asking you for abundant grace today, and I receive it. Amen. 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 Now, there's an introvert who just gave us a great key. Okay? Who else? Okay, Adam in the back. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's teacher's favorite, okay. Yeah. Um, so I do hear from God. This has been a point of discussion in threefold, even. Yeah. Um, we all feel stuff that or we come to points where we don't know what to do or we feel like we're being prompted for something. Is that God? Is that not God? And what I have found very useful, and it works... This works for me, it's not what everybody does, is I stop and I do my best to clear my mind of what I want, to go, I know that what I really, really want is for these th to make this decision and have it have this outcome. Amen. And I stop and the, it's really, it's great when it's like an either or sort of thing. Um, and I go, God, what if I do this? And I shut up. And I just listen. And then I say, God, what if I do this? And I stop and I just listen. Amen. Okay. And that's very hard to do because I so often have a dog in the fight. Yeah. Okay. And what happens for me is generally one of those is noise <sighs> and it's chaos and the other is peace i'm telling you i could take a recording of that and play what i've told people about this very thing and it would be identical dog in the fight everything you've got to identify your dog in the fight you've got to identify it. and the more you, the better you get at identifying the dog in your fight and resisting it the better you'll get at knowing that that's your dog Right? And you've got to get that out of the fight or you're never going to hear God clearly. And the other thing is the peace. You go after the one that just, you just know it's true, whether you want it or not. And a lot of times you don't want it. Justine, we might actually get over here. I hope there's godly people over here. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Kidding. Okay, go ahead. So I don't, I don't know that I have the words totally worked out about how to say it. So um, there's something about the, the, comf the, the peace or the rest that you get in yeah. when you're hearing the Holy Spirit, what he's asking you to do actually isn't the most important thing. So if you get it wrong or you get it right, that doesn't actually matter because it's about relationship with Yahweh. Yeah. It's about communing with the Holy Spirit yeah. and take the fear out of it. So how do you hear the Holy Spirit and get it right? That's like a whole other thing. Yeah. And I don't think God even, like he doesn't, yes, he cares. He's asking us to do important, crucial things for his kingdom. But at the end of the day, he just wants to be known by yeah. you and know you and intertwine your heart. So yeah. to take that risk element out, you can't fail when you're asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you. He's big. He can speak to you. 
Yeah. And just rest in that in the process. Yeah, and, and when you get it wrong, you got it wrong. And you just learn from that. And then when you get it right, you'll know that you got it right, and you learn from that. It's just this being willing to be open all the time. Wait till you hear what I'm about to say, too, in, in regard to that. So again, mark that and just hear what I'm about to say about it. Let's do, just, just do two more, and then we'll move on. Jeff, let's hit Jeff here. And then just for the sake of it, somebody over here is going to have to raise your hand, okay? I know, make Hayden do something. He's got a microphone. There. Yeah. Okay. Great. I can't see. Okay. Great. So for me, hearing the Holy Spirit, uh, something that really flashed in my mind is it's a lot like hearing my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and all the wives say, all right, take, take us Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and what I mean by that is uh, I, I can be prideful. I can be silly and stupid about a lot of stupid things. And I can be focused on those things. And then no matter what the Holy Spirit or my wife is trying to say to me, if my mind is in one of those places, I'm not going to hear it. But if I can bring myself down, humble myself, and get rid of some of that crap, yeah. then I can start hearing the truth. Amen. Amen. We'll do one more. Caden, thank you. We love go, you, go Catherine, ahead. by the way. We love you. person that raised her hand right there. Hi, my name's Melissa. Boy, my heart is just beating. <laughs> um, how do you heal, hear the Holy Spirit? Well, you ask for God's guidance, and if it's a good thing, then that's from the Holy Spirit. If it's a bad thing, then that's not. I like that. And, um, <laughs> it's just that sometimes the good thing from God sounds like something I don't want. <laughs> and sometimes you don't even have to ask. He'll just tell you to do things, Amen. and you know it's from him Amen. if it's the good thing to do. Amen. You know, this is a great body. This is something, this, this is the kind of body that we are, right? You can go ahead a little bit up. I think you're going to have a camera problem, but thank you for doing that. Thank you for helping me there. Uh, lights I was talking about, okay? But, but here, here's where I want to take you, okay? Watch this. How do you get to where you hear the Holy Spirit more? How do you get there? Well, I'm going to show you something that you see every day, okay? Every day you're here. How many times have you seen that? Can I venture to say that you've seen that so many times that you don't even pay attention to it anymore? It's just this thing, you know what I mean? It's like Coca-Cola or something, you know? What's that? Who cares? It's just that. But, but I want to show you why this thing is something that we show to you all the time, okay? We're going to start right here. In the, in the lower left-hand corner is devotionals. That's the cornerstone of everything. Devotionals, when a, what a cornerstone is, is you lay the cornerstone right, and then this line goes right, and this line goes right, and you can build up on it. You lay the cornerstone wrong, you can't get this line right or this line right, and you can't build up on it. You, you gotta get this one right. So I wanna show you what devotionals really is. And in order to do this, I'm gonna have the Lou's come forward because they are like my favorite people in the world. And where are you? Jonathan Michelle, where are you? Okay. Oh, he did? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, did he really? Okay. Uh, I, 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 gotta, I need a couple then. Uh, and your wife just left. What is going on today? What? <laughs> Where are we? Philip and your wife. Philip, come forward, okay? Okay, Philip does. But Luz, lovely to have you. And tomorrow, they're going to be at the beginning of the service. So you do next week. What did I say? That would be next week. Okay? Come on up, guys. Okay. Now, this is an incredibly wonderful couple, all right? Now, you don't have to sit just yet. But here's what I want you to do, okay? Here, here's, I want to propose to you that devotionals is like being with your wife, okay, being with your spouse. Because here's what happens. When these two first got married, they were lovey-dovey, and it was all of this, right? There was a little too much of that, okay? And then, and then that made a baby, right? And then that meant that they had to get more job, and so now they both have a lot of responsibilities and the breathe thing from last week. So now they're running around and kind of run around busy body and doing their own thing, and they're doing jobs, and they're doing errands, and they're doing chores and everything else, and then they come back together, yeah, they come back together, and then when they come back together, I don't want you to, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Because you're so busy, because you're so busy that what you end up being is, you go ahead. You know, they get home, and they're tired, and so they're watching television. They're side by side. What's wrong with this? They're together, right? But they're watching television, or they're reading books, or they're doing something to decompress, or they're doing all this kind of stuff. But now watch something. 
Okay? How many years does it take living this kind of life to where you get to where you think you know the other person? I'm going to move you. But you don't. Go ahead, keep going. But actually what's happening is, is that you're, you're growing apart. How, many, how long does it take for you to do things side by side and think you know the other person, but in fact, other stuff is happening? Do you see it? To where you start to do this. Now, what do you have to do when that starts to happen? What do you have to do? Turn your chairs to look at each other. You have to move to here. Can I tell you something? Walking through life, God ought to be by your side all the time. But if you don't have this moment, you think you know the other person, God, but you don't. In ways that are so subtle that you don't even know you're losing it. Just a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And all of a sudden, you're thinking that you got God caked, and then something happens, and you're going, well, I didn't know him at all. I didn't get what was happening at all. You gotta have this time, this is what a devotional is. This is how you restore a marriage, right? I mean, as tough as it is, you gotta start somewhere, and this is where you gotta start. You gotta look at each other. You can't be shaving. You can't be taking a shower. You can't be driving to work. You can't be doing your workout. You can't be doing a run. You can't, you right? You know, I always say, when you go on a devotional, go on a walk, and, it would, and I, I'm saying, you don't have to go on a walk. Everybody knows that, right? But the bottom line is, you gotta have a moment that is quiet. You gotta have a moment that is dedicated. You gotta have moments where you're asking, where you're seeing, where you're growing, where you're learning, where you're getting a response back, where you're having to work through what that response was. You're changing, you're changing. Things are happening. This is a devotional. You see it? Thank you. Okay. No, I'm good. But thank you. He asked if, I could, if he could move the chair. That's a servant heart. Do you get, do you get what, what I'm saying? A devotional is that dedicated time. We st I always say start it off with the word. You can do it any way you want to do it. The easy way we make you to be able to do it or we, allow, we make available to you to do is soap. There's our front page of our website in the discipleship bar down here. There's soap. When you click on it, it brings up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I don't have Saturday and Sunday. You may want to catch one you missed or whatever. We just don't, I just, anyway, whatever. But the bottom line is you click on that and when you do, it'll take you to a little bit of Old Testament and a little bit of New Testament. And let me tell you something that I think most people would think is not good of us. That is calculated to be read in about five minutes. That doesn't seem long enough for somebody in the Word. But as, but as uh, Peter Lord always says, you can starve to death running through a grocery store. If you're doing the Bible in a year, I commend you, go for it, I don't care. But would you please not do that year after year after year? Because there's way more in there than you can ever process. And what we try and do is we try and make the New Testament something that's soapable, and that just means a thing where you can process what's God saying to you. And if you wanna know what it is, you go down there to the bottom and you just click on it and you can read it. And you could take an entire hour soaping just the New Testament part easily. But I'm telling you what I do. I read it in a soap frame of mind where I'm saying, what is God telling me? I look for the speed bumps. What's he trying to say to me in these scriptures? And then I read them, and then I start thinking about them and praying about them. What does it mean? Why is he showing this to me? And I read these two, and I'll bet you I don't read more than seven minutes on average in a day. But it's seven minutes of real thought. And then I get up and walk. You, can, you don't have to get up and walk. You can go to your couch or kneel by your bed or go into your closet or do whatever you want to do. But the bottom line, I go for a walk because if I close my eyes, I fall asleep. Okay? And so I go for a walk because it's harder to fall asleep when you're walking. It's not impossible, I found. <laughs> but it's harder. But I go for a walk and I go on the same walk every day so that I'm very likely to not see anything I haven't seen a thousand times before so that I can concentrate on God as much as I can. And even then, let me tell you, I would say 40% of any time of my prayer when I'm praying, you would say, that's not a prayer. And I would agree with you, it's not a prayer. My mind is wandering about something. But what I can tell you is, is I've got that word in my heart and it's starting to come up 
and I'm talking to the Lord about things, and when I realize I'm drifting, I don't beat myself up. I just start praying again. I'll pray in the Spirit. I'll do whatever it is, and as I'm walking, I'm just talking to him. I'm asking about things in my day. I'm learning from the scripture that I read. I'm just talking to him about what he wants, what he's doing. I'm letting him tell me things. You do realize, as I've said before, every sermon I've ever preached, every idea I've ever had that was of any value, everything that, we've, that I've ever done of any consequence in my life came out of devotionals, period. Period. I've been doing them for 40 years. And what I'm telling you is do devotionals for one year in a serious way. 20 minutes is a minimum. Try and find 30 minutes. There's gotta be 30 minutes you can find. I know for moms, I get it, particularly with young kids and so on, I get it. But even then, even then God has a way for you. But that breathe time that JJ was talking about, find those moments where you can really be focused and faced. And when you do that, I'm telling you, you do that for a year, your ability to hear the Holy Spirit will be exponentially greater than what it is right now. You'll know what's you and what's God. You'll know so many more things than you know right now. It is ridiculous. It'll take you into who he's made you to be. That's just the truth. Now, I want to stop for one second. Did you have a word or something that you want to do? Okay. So I just want to make room for that if there is. Okay? Now, devotionals is the, is the cornerstone. We're doing the rest more quickly. Threefold. I put it right to the right of there, and it goes right to the right of there because it's right next to it. It's the next most important thing. We've already talked about what threefolds is. We've already talked about how important it is. But here's what I want to say. Two things about threefolds. The first thing is, when it's just you, you can still get off base. But when you're sitting there with three or four people talking about the things that you're learning about God, if you're wrong, what do they do? Uh, I don't know, that doesn't sound like God. Right? If you're in a good threefold, they say it in a ruder, more funny fashion. Right? Right? Now, the second thing that, if you are getting it right, then what do they say? That's incredible, and I grow from that. Just like when they say something, you go, I'm growing from that. I'm learning how to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm learning how to walk my walk with God. Do you see it? And the second thing that happens, which is really cool, is think about this. What God really wants you to do is he wants to flow through you to affect everybody. And so he gives you this incubator, these people that you really trust, that really trust you. And if you make a mistake in a threefold, they'll make fun of you. But they still love you. They're not going to kick you out. You don't get an F. You're not embarrassed. You just get to do it in a safe place where you get, you know, it's sometimes this person has a need and people are ministering to him. I'm telling you, you're in a threefold and God speaks through you for the first time how to help somebody and you're sitting there going, man, that was good. You're saying that. You said it, but you're going, that was better than I knew. The next time you get into a situation with somebody out in the world, what are you more likely to do now? <coughs> God, say that. <laughs> Speak to them the way you can. And then other times it's you that's in need. And people say things to you and you get to feel what it feels like when somebody speaks a word of the Lord to you. Because it makes a difference. It changes your life. He spoke and it happened. That's the truth about God, right? The next most important thing, I'm doing these in order of importance, I think. Devotionals is very most important. Threefolds is next important and Sunday church is next important. And let me tell you why. Because Sunday church ought not be what I think it is almost everywhere. Sunday church is supposed to be this, a prophetic moment. There's a worship of the Lord to come into his presence so that he can speak to us. Sunday morning is a time when he takes the body and he moves them on a journey. He takes the nation Israel and he moves them into the promised land. He takes the disciples and he disciples them. Sunday morning is a time when he's doing something in an aggregate way to move us forward in a communal, community way where we're lifting each other's hands and learning as we grow together. Sunday morning is not <coughs> a series of disconnected messages about 55 things that you need to be doing. What Sunday morning is supposed to be is God is supposed to be speaking prophetically and moving the ball forward, step by step, moment by moment, 
inch by inch, principle by principle. That's what Sunday morning is supposed to be. And when it is that, that'll help you hear the Holy Spirit because you'll know what he's doing, right? You'll be in his flow. Small groups, that one doesn't belong there. Small groups are wonderful. But about five years ago, no longer than that, about seven years ago, I looked at them and I said, you know, God, the more experience that we have with threefolds, the more I think that threefolds are small groups on steroids. There's lots of things that small groups can do that threefolds don't, but everything that's really good and really important happens in threefolds better than it does in small groups. So I've been asking him for about five or six years, should we even have small groups on there anymore? But I think small groups are really great for other reasons, and I've been trying to figure out how to do them better. Well, guess what? About seven months ago, six, seven months ago, through Justine and, and, and simultaneously through something else, God started showing us a different way to think about that part of our thing. So that's changing, and I'm not going to tell you what it is, and I, meant, I mean to tease in a way that you will be wondering what it is, but really what I want you to do is to pray, because I'm telling you God is showing us something about what church is supposed to be, which is taking it so much more deeper to me. It's changing my entire understanding of what church is. But I don't want to birth it too quickly. I don't want to spill the beans and then lose momentum. So just pray, okay, as we work through it, okay? But I do think that that becomes the next important thing. And then we go to outreach. Well, wait a minute, outreach is supposed to be number one. No, you're supposed to be equipped. And that's what these things are doing. And then you go out. And then here's the really cool thing. Here's what I love about all of these. These aren't like, I'm going to do two of the six and I'm doing good. These all fit together, they all work together. I did an illustration one time with these six things where I took a bike and I said, there's six parts to a bike. And tell me one part that you can take off and still ride that bike. Because you can't take the wheels off, you can't take the brakes off, you can't take the gears off, you can't take the seat off. Well, you can, but you know, <laughs> don't, okay? <laughs> Here's the cool thing about outreach. You get out to where you're trying to help somebody whether it's in your threefold or it's, it's out, you get to where you're helping somebody, you will learn very quickly that the things that you know is not what they need. You will learn very quickly that God knows exactly what they need. And if you'll go to him, praying in the spirit, asking him to show you what they need, he will start doing what he wants to do through you. And they will be touched and blessed and you will be amazed. And you will grow in your knowledge of him. You will grow in your knowledge of how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You will grow magnificently. And what it'll do is it'll throw you back into, wow, I need to get into devotionals because that was cool and I need to grow more in God. And I need to get into my small group and work this out. And I need to get in church and see what the movement is. See what I mean? All of these things end up reinforcing each other. They feed each other. They start going like this and it starts going up and up and up. See that? And the last one, and this is why it's so interesting to me, I think the sixth most important one is the one that most churches, they want you to come to church and serve because they need chairs set up. And here's what I want to say serving is really all about. Here's what's great about serving. You're, you get to do that one in your gifting, which is a good thing and a horrible thing. You're supposed to serve in your gifting, okay? You, the thing that you're good at, if you're good at administrations, the Bible says, do administrations. If you're good at hospitality, do hospitality. Whatever your gift is, do it in your gifting. But here's the cool thing. Serving is a place where you get to learn the difference between doing it in your gifting only and doing it in your gifting with an anointing. You can be a worship leader standing up here who's a phenomenal musician playing unbelievable music and it can be quite worshipful. But you take that and you add the Holy Spirit actually leading a phenomenal musician in how to worship and the difference is night and day. The difference is prophetic. The difference is God speaking to you, which is what we're talking about. How do you hear when God is speaking to you? And so all of a sudden, this subtlety of moving in your gifting, you start to learn how to distinguish between your gift and God's anointing. And at that point in time, you start entering into how to hear God in the subtlest ways, in the ways that take you to places that you could have never dreamt. In the end, what we're saying is God's Spirit beckons there are things to do and places to go. <laughs> so let's do it. Let's go. Right? This week, what I want you to do, ask for and look for the Holy Spirit's guidance in everything. That was the word that came earlier today. In everything. In everything. Look for the Holy Spirit's guidance in everything. 
What do you want me to do, Lord? How do you want me to do this? What are you doing, Lord? Start looking for him everywhere. Start Jan asking, right? And then he'll start answering. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, it is just so extraordinary what you've done. It's so easy and it is so rich and it is so wonderful and it is so beautiful. And it is so much more true and real and satisfying and fulfilling and fruitful than the things of ourselves. Oh God, save us from ourselves. Kill us that we might live for you. God, kill me that I might live for you and you alone. Please. And as you can say that, say it yourself. God, <coughs> you may do it. Kill me. That in Jesus' name I might live for you and you alone. It's already true that that's what I should be living. It's just not what I do. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, just have me to enter into these easy-to-do things that are so rich and wonderful all in themselves just have us to all grow as disciples that when we get to our doctorate and we're the ones that are extending the kingdom that we can do so in the richness and fullness as did the disciples reach down in front of you please and grab these cups <laughs>